Welcome to Argyle Chat, the weekly Argyle podcast brought to you by Plymouth Live Sports Desk. Hello and welcome to Argyle Chat. I'm pleased to say we've got a very exciting podcast for you this week as we'll be speaking to Christine Seddon, the chair of the Blackpool Supporters Trust. Um, Ahead of Argyle's trip to Blackpool this weekend, we'll speak to her about the Oystons, how tough it's been to stay away from the ground for so many years and an emotional return to Bloomfield Road, which I'm sure that anyone that listens to this will have read about. But before all that, Chris Harrington joins me, Jack Ball, to look back on Saturday's draw against Bristol Rovers. Hello, Chris. Hello, Jack. And I suppose I should mention to the loyal listeners of the Argyle Chat podcast that this is going to be the last time that Jack hosts the podcast. Yeah. Jack is... um, taking up a new role within the company, within Plymouth Live, starting that next week. Uh, I'm still hoping that he will come along and be a guest on the podcast. That's correct, isn't it? Yeah, be yeah a guest I'm happy to still because, my voice. Because you'll be, um, I think, going to Argyle regularly, yeah, but as a fan rather oh. than as a, uh, a a reporter. And we all know how excited I am about that. <laughs> I'm probably not sure about it to you for the last few weeks. So, uh, yeah. so, um, so this is the last time Jack's going to do the hosting duty. So, Jack... Thank you on behalf of all the listeners it's for the good. work, the work so, you've done. As I say, it would be good for me to I'll be able to come and do the podcast and then do less work, really, when it comes to that. I'll leave that sort of in your capable hands. But, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's been fun, and I'm sure it will still be fun yeah. in, in the coming weeks and, and, and well, I was going to say years, but God knows how long, I'll, I'll, you know, <laughs> who knows what will happen, but in the coming weeks, let's get next. Let's get next week out of the way, and then we'll take it from there, won't we? <laughs> um, so, yeah, oh. well, games between... Bristol Rovers and Argyle are rarely dull. Yes. They met again on Saturday with both teams on good form. Argyle yep. at home, Bristol Rovers away. Yeah. We should have really known it was going to be a draw from the start, but but it was a good entertaining game, Chris, for the for the for the neutral really. Or, well, or for the fans, I should say. For the fans, yeah. I mean, a few days removed, you know, immediately after the game when Argyle had just conceded a ninety first minute equaliser, mm-hmm. everyone is disappointed, upset, frustrated, etc. etc. Um a little bit time away removed. You know, yes, it you know it was two points dropped for Argyle, uh, and you hope that doesn't prove costly. But as a game of football, I thought it was a it was it was a really good game of football. Um, the first half was perhaps a bit more of a chess match. It felt like the game opened up in the second half, and it often does when once the first goal in a game like that scored, the onus is then on the other team to to play a bit more purposefully. And um, I thought it was a really good game of football. Um, I did have a chance to speak to Graham Cochran afterwards briefly, and he made the point that he thought he thought it was a fair result, and that he thought that both teams had improved a lot yeah. since they met at the Memorial Stadium earlier in the season. And I would agree with that. I, I thought Bristol Rovers, you know, were, were decent, and I thought Argyle played played well, and you know could easily have won the game, but for a worldy goal from. Johnson Clark Harris, who Jack, you flagged up on the on the website before the game, didn't you? As, as the one to watch out for. But well, we spoke to um, one of the all the Bristol one of the Bristol Rovers reporters mm. up at Bristol Live, um, mm. and he, he pointed out the the run that Clark Harris had been on. Mm. It, it's sensational. I didn't realise actually mm. that he was their player permanently. I thought he mm. joined on loan, yeah. but he, he's actually their player permanently. And I've mm. seen already that there are a few clubs looking at maybe making a bid for him this summer. So well, scoring goals like that because I think it's not the first long range goal he's got. For he scored one a couple of weeks yeah, earlier. Exactly. So, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So it was it was it was it was a good game of football. Uh, I thought Argyle played well. Um, you know, the first goal that they conceded from Clark Harris, you know, Jamie Ness saw us after the game and said maybe we could have closed him down a bit quicker, you know, stopped him getting the shot away. But even so, you know, 
there's not many times that that shot's going to go flying in the top corner like the way it did. I think of any goal though, you can always yes you know, at some point yes. how, no matter how far you took it back, there is a point where you could have won the ball. Correct. But with sometimes you just have to give credit to to a shot like that, don't you? And a player that does that. And it, at that time, I, I felt reason our goal, our goal were reasonably comfortable. They they weren't really Matt Macy didn't really have a great deal to do during that game, although he did make a really important yeah. save. Um, right on half time, didn't he, to deny Tom Nichols? I'm so. still not sure if he does that. How he managed to save that—that that was pretty remarkable. <laughs> and then the, the equaliser at the end. You know, again, it's one of those. Um, it was good, good play from uh, the Bristol Rovers player whose name escapes me. Jack um, scored the goal. Oh, the Gavin Riley. Gavin Riley, that's right. Um, good play from him. He's made the run. He's got in front yeah. of Jan Songo. Scored with a flick header. But then, like you've just said there, our goal perhaps. Sh- should have done better stopping the cross coming in and then you know Songo's got to try and get around yeah. and in front of the, the striker who's made the run but so again, a good glance and header headers like that aren't easy to do when the ball's coming in like that it, it, was, it, was, it was two good finishes it was a good game of football you know easy to say but if both of those teams keep playing like that between now and the end of the season they'll be well clear of the bottom four well it's just crazy to think how close they are to the bottom yes. four still even though they're both mid-table yeah. and yeah. again Graham yeah. Coughlin pointed that out after the game yeah. Ruben Lemira scored another goal for Argyle yeah. he was the one that opened the scoring yeah. I, f- I found it interesting actually that a lot of people have been saying can Argyle afford to re-sign him but you mm. did a piece at the weekend saying mm. can Argyle not, af- uh, mm. not afford to bring him back next season and yeah He'll be a big loss for Argo, especially on a free transfer. Yeah, uh, you know, if you if you're asking me, sat here, right here and now, do I think he'll be at Argyle or not next season? I think not. Mm. Um, I hope Argyle can keep him. I'd love to see him carry on playing at Argyle, but he is making a very strong case that he's a very, very good League One player, and very, very good League One players and potentially even Championship players have to be played that way. Yeah. Now, can Argyle do that? Are they able to do that? Will they be prepared to do that? Um, because if he leaves in the summer, then you're going to have the Sonny Bradley, Oscar Threlkeld scenario all over again, aren't you? And it gets, in my view, and mm. I'm saying this as a fan and mm. as a journalist, mm. each time that happens, when mm. your best players leaves on a free transfer, it hurts the fans more and more, yep. and they question yep. the club's... Uh, Ambition, ambition more and more absolutely right? rightly so would you say yeah I think so you, 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 sometimes things happen in football that you can't prevent yeah and you just have to accept it dog eat dog in football a bigger club will always prey on a smaller a, a bigger club will always prey on a smaller club but sometimes you can put things into place to stop that from happening which means sorting contracts out earlier Try if you're not going to offer him a new contract at the end of the season, move him on in a January so that at least you get a fee for him then, etc. So you don't lose players. Um, the thing I would say to that is that one bit of sympathy I do have for clubs is if you sell them in January yeah. then you get all the fans saying, yeah. well, hey, when you're selling our players, we're in the middle of a relegation battle. I sometimes think clubs can't yeah. win in certain scenarios. No, and that's true. But then you, sometimes you have to be open and honest and yeah. say, look, we've spoken to this player. The indications he's given us at the moment is that he would like to consider his options in the summer as to what he's going to do. And that being the case, we can't take the risk of him leaving in the summer for nothing when we could get X thousand pounds, uh, X thousand pounds for him right here and now. So yeah. we've made the business decision to do that. Never going to please everybody, but I think people, particularly after the Sonny Bradley situation, would understand where they're coming from. And, you know, let's not forget as well, and I made the point in the, the piece that I did, is that, you know, Argyle are going to have a, a, a nice grandstand with hospitality and banqueting yeah. and conference facilities open at some stage next season. 
and they want people to fill that. They want people to sit in those seats. There's going to be seats in the lower tier of the Mayflower for the first time in however many years. Yeah. They want people to use that. They want people to spend their money. And you've got to give them a reason to do that. And, you know, it, if you, like you say, if, if you keep losing your best players, then it is going to be difficult. And, you, um, and that's the thing. You know, how many goals has he got now? 12. 12, 12 goals. I mean, you can't tell me that... Especially on a free transfer, there's not going to be a lot of clubs lining up to make a move for him this this summer. I'd be I'd be very surprised, and you know, you know, it might be too late. They might not be able to do anything about it now. Um, but it's about doing stuff earlier, isn't it? I think I that's think, what it's gets that point. Where I've got half, it, if they can't compete with wages, they've got to try and sort things out earlier. Yeah, and get something for them because you know there there is an argument to say well, Ruben Ramirez didn't cost them a fee. He might leave on a free, and. They've had the benefit of him for two years and it hasn't cost them anything as such. But he is an asset um, because the way he's played in the second half of the season, I mean, he's got to be one of the best players in League One, hasn't he? He has to be. And also it feeds into what Simon Hallett was saying about the club not yet being self-sustainable. Yes. Part of that is being able to sell players Correct. For, for money, isn't it? That's yeah. how clubs make money at this level. So. Yeah, because you know, if you sell a player in January, you might not get masses of money. You might not get like full market value if he still had two years left on his contract. Um, this is the case for anybody, but, but get something rather than leave That's another. That's the thing, I mean, if, if just say the likes of picking a name up like Barnsley mm. were interested in signing him, mm. they might think, oh, we could risk trying to get him for free in January, but if we mm. offer 250000 in January, we can, mm. we can get him straight away and we'll know he'll be coming. Yeah, I mean, so, I, think, I think we're all enjoying watching him play yeah, at the moment. I mean, you know, the first half of both of the last two seasons has been a bit hit and miss with him, but, uh, and he had a good second half to last season, but... What I liked on Saturday, without you know going dwelling too much on Saturday, is that you know there's no growing carry in the team. So Bristol Rovers think, oh, this is good. You know we've got no carry to worry about. Mm-hmm. They could focus all their attention on stopping Ruben Lemire's playing, and then they'd have said, stop Lemire's playing, we can stop our goal playing. And so even though there was no carry and there was a lot more onus on Lemire's shoulders, he still was my to my mind our goal's best player. He scored the brilliant first goal, well worked first goal. And he was a threat all game. And I think that shows that even without carrying the team, his influence was still significant. He's a league one Raheem Sterling, that's what I say. <laughs> so you saw one of the Raheem Sterling runs last night and Lemiris yeah. uh, makes dancing yeah. runs around players quite often, doesn't yeah. he? So, uh, no, he's been, a, he's been a joy to watch the last few months. Another player that's been in good form mm. in previous years, he's picked mm. up a bit this year in terms of his goals from Graham Carey. Yeah. But he was an absence, absentee mm. uh, news we weren't expecting. We found out just before kick-off yes. um, when the team news came out. Mm. Um, I know you spoke to Derek Adams about Graham Carey, an obvious question to ask, but what's the latest for anyone that hasn't read about it? Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen uh, Derek Adams since uh, Saturday, but um, it was a back problem which um, Derek Adams said was sort of tracking into his hamstrings. And sometimes when you, uh, you know, I think this happens to people in normal life as well. If you have a back problem, you can sometimes lead to problems in your tops of your legs and things like that. the way that Derek Adams said it at the time, he didn't seem overly concerned that it was a, a, a long-term problem. I did ask, you know, for example, if Graham Carey would be fit for the Blackpool away game coming up on yeah. Saturday. And it was, well, we'll wait and see, hopefully, you know, I think so sort of thing. So we, we were walking around the, the, the ground not long before kickoff, and we saw Graham Carey uh, in his tracksuit uh, walking around talking to some people. And, he, he, you know, he didn't look in any particular discomfort or what have you so hopefully um, it's, it's nothing too serious but you've got to take into account 
how it's, it's, it's encouraging that Argyle played so well without Graham Carey, wasn't it? Because there was a time, I think, mm. maybe even last season, where if he was out of the team, you mm. knew that you weren't going to get a performance. But yeah. it's, you can take some encouragement from the performance after after that. Absolutely, but still would like him back as soon as possible. Definitely so. Mm. And two other players that yeah. came off the pitch um, with injuries. Joe Riley, to me, at mm. least, was, was obvious that he was mm. coming off with an injury. Yeah. David Fox, I didn't realise until no. after the game. No. But Derek said they both picked up knocks latest on them. Um, again, um, it was very much we'll wait and see uh, I hope that the Joe Riley one they, they got him off quick enough to prevent it you know aggravating problems a bit, a bit like Jan Songo a bit before. like Jan Songo the week before at Fleetwood and, and Jan Songo came through the game against Bristol Rovers yeah. uh, seemingly fine um, yeah I don't think we any of us realised that David Fox was carrying a slight I think it was groin injury uh, towards the end um, you know I've had a few games it's coming towards the end of a long season um, so it's one of those that uh, We'll obviously have to keep an eye on and hope that they're um, available for Saturday. David Fox, obviously a former Blackpool player, so yeah. I'm sure he would like to to play up at Bloomfield Road. And I thought Joe Riley again had another good game. I think you know since he's come back into the into the team, I think he's 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 done really well. I thought he I thought he was having a very good game until he got the injury on Saturday. Fingers crossed he won't be kept out too long. Just, just one question that is not on our loose script. Okay. That I've just thought about that we spoke briefly about on Saturday. Yeah. Is Derek Adams changed formation for the Bristol Rovers game? Yes. Instead opting to make a like for like switch to bring in Paul Anderson. Yes. What does what does that say to you? Do you think Paul Anderson's gonna struggle for any game time this season? It's looking now? it's looking that way, isn't it? Yeah, because you could easily have just kept the same formation, but Paul Anderson where Graham Carey's been playing, and away you go. Um so they went with three centre backs. Um Bristol Rovers Unusually for a lot of teams in in League One, play with two up top, don't they? With yeah. Clark Harris and Tom Nichols. Yeah. And um, you know whether there was concerns that uh, Clark Harris in particular could cause Argyle problems if they played two at the back, and i.e. centre back, centre back each had a player to deal with, and whether uh, Derek Adams wanted a little bit of more security at the back. Um, so yeah, it, it you know it doesn't bode too well for Paul Anderson that he couldn't get a start when. Um, you know, Kerry was out. Yeah. Although from an attacking sense or from an attacking point of view, you know, Argyle scored two goals, created plenty of chances. You know, they 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 were decent going forward. I think. And they? I've got to say, Gary Sawyer, who doesn't strike me as a particularly no. good wing back, I don't think he's he's got some good touches mm. actually. He's impressed mm. me a bit more than I thought he would. I thought he's a very good defensive mm. player, mm. but going forward, he's done a bit better than I expected yeah. he might do, especially with his with his aging years. No, but, I think um, he's. I think since he came back from that broken foot, he was out for three months earlier in the season. I think since he's come back into the team, I think he's done a very steady job. And just finally on the Bristol Rovers game, mm, I yeah. interviewed Graham Cochran after the game, mm. and I said I said online that you know his love for Argyle really does shine mm. through. He smiles when he talks about Argyle. He smiles when he talks about the Green Army. He makes people laugh. I've got a lot of time for him. A very nice guy. He caught up with you after the game briefly mm. as well, Chris. How how good was it for you to see him? You know, as a manager at mm. Home Park. Well, I think for for all Argyle fans that remember Graham as a as a player, mm. you know, he was a, he was a great player for Argyle. And when I say a great player, I do mean great. You know, he was. You know, part of two title-winning teams, as we all know. He, you know, I got to know him as as a player. You know, and a reporter and a player, and we used to interview. I used to interview him quite a lot. And you know, he is what you see in real. You know, he is heart on his sleeve. Yeah. He is determined. He is passionate. He is the courage of his convictions. And um, you know, it's great to see him getting a a chance in management. And you know, really good to see that he's making such a good job of it at Bristol Rovers at the moment and uh, you know it was it was great to see him you know but as, as you've rightly said there you know he has a, a quite a large part in his heart for Argyle and that's not just platitudes and uh, 
you know, a lot of where Graham Cochran is now in his life is because of that move yeah. he made from Livingston to Argyle in 2001, and Paul Sturrock brought him down, and no one had the faintest idea who Graham Cochran was. And he could have come down, and it could have all gone horribly wrong, and he could have gone back to Scotland, and we'd have never have heard of him, and, and he might never have had the career as a player, because let's not forget he ended up playing at Sheffield Wednesday as well, and then the links with Paul Sturrock took him to Southend and got him into coaching, into management, and now he's got his foot in the door. And if he carries on like he's doing, then he's going to have a, a a long career in in management. Well, like you said, though, you can tell he really means it because you, mm. we both speak to a lot of managers, oh, yeah. and mm. sometimes they go through the same old draw. So yes. yeah, no, I played him before, I liked yeah. it, but with yeah. Greg Hogland, it really does light up his face when we talked about. No, that. absolutely, no, he 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 got he's he's got green a green heart. A part of his heart is green, definitely. Fantastic. Well, right as I mentioned earlier, I've spoken to Christine Seddon, the chair of the Blackpool Supporters Trust. So here's what she had to say about a bonkers few years beside the seaside. So thanks very much, Christine, for, for joining me. Um, it's probably been a, a happy few weeks for you recently. It has. It's been um, extremely busy, <laughs> but uh, absolutely wonderful. Um, once the receiver was appointed uh, and the oysters were removed, it's just um, all snowballed, really. So it's been all hands on deck, but it's been absolutely wonderful. Um, and I suppose it's been something you've been hoping for for a long time, you and many fans. But if we can rewind back to the start, how long ago did this all kick off? And what was the sort of... Because, you know, not long ago, Blackpool were in the Premier League. It looked from the outside that everything was going well. So when did it all start to turn sour? Um, to be honest, I think probably when we got to the Premier League, that's when it highlighted um, the, the differences in, in the way the Oysters were looking at, at the football club and how the rest of us were. Mm. Um, and, and I think it's, it was all that money that um, kind of, well, it's proved to be their undoing in the end um, because they decided to prioritise their... Um, other non-football businesses over the football club yeah. um, and obviously everything else has been pretty well documented o over the last few years but it, it certainly goes back to, to that time um, but I think really um, we say the last four years has been the hardest because that's when most fans decided to start boycotting um, and so that's, that's, it's been really really tough and how did you first get involved in being being associated with this? Were you were you, were you there before it started to turn sour? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I'm a, a lifelong Blackpool fan, like many people. Yeah. Um, to be honest, you know, the, the, people have never been that happy with the way the club was run under the Oysters. But I think we had um, quite low expectations until Larry Bellicon came into the club um, and invested some money and into the actual playing side and into the infrastructure. And that's what got us to the Premier League. So I think then it became obvious that there was huge opportunity here for the club and the community. Um, getting to, to the Premier League didn't just benefit football fans, it benefited the whole town. So I think we could all see the potential yeah. um, and it was just such a wonderful opportunity for us all. Um, and then that was squandered and that, 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 was, that was really, really hard to take. So, so I've been involved really, I've been a, a fan all my life. Um, but it was when when the supporters trust um, got going that I I really got involved because I could see that something needed to be done and and I just wanted to do whatever I could to help save our football club. And if I remember rightly, Blackpool started off quite well in the Premier League again. If my memory serves me right, and then I think it was the second half of the season where things started to go wrong. They got relegated, and then obviously the more struggles ensued. Um, 
what you said it was roughly four years ago where fans started to think about boycotting. What sort of led to that moment where they thought, right, that's all we can do to try and get a point across here? Yeah, well, it, it was a gradual uh, build-up to it, I think. Um, <clears throat> once we were relegated from the Premier League, then the accounts um, from the club were published, and, and we started to see where the money was going. And mm. Owen Oyson had awarded himself an eleven million pound dividend, and you know things like this. It was it was pretty outrageous. And um, so we started questioning it and complaining about it. Um, and then, of course, um, certain fans they started trying to take legal action against fans, and I think. That really was the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. Um, we were used to them sort of dismissing us and not listening to us, but to actually go that far was was just um, too much for most of us. Um, and that's when the relationship between owners and fans was truly broken. Um, and, and it became obvious to us that they, they weren't listening, they were never going to change. So the only thing we could do was withhold our revenue um, as a way of trying to force them out. And and you sort of recall when the idea to start boycotting started and when it sort of became more of an, than an idea and it actually really started to affect the club? Because, you know, quite often in football you hear people talk about boycotts and it never really happens. But, I mean, this one was incredible to watch from, from away from the scenes that actually so many people did get involved. Yes, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> it was almost a sort of organic thing. It, 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 it grew. I mean, to be fair, there are people who... Um, the, the minute they could see what was happening after the, the Premier League decided to start boycotting there and then. But the majority, for the majority of us, you know, you keep going, you think, it, surely they'll do something, surely it will get better. Yeah. Um, but um, the end of the 2014-2015 season, when Blackpool were relegated from the Championship, um, and when uh, quite a lot of fans, you know, all the suing had already started, that pretty much was the, the point where we thought, you know what, that there really is, there's no other way now. Um, and so the, the match, the last game of the season, which was against Huddersfield, the match was abandoned because fans got onto the pitch and um, sat down and refused to move. Yeah, I remember that now you, now you mention it. Yes, it really caught the headlines. We'd had a big protest anyway. We called it Judgment Day because Carl Oyston had said judges at the end of the season. Uh, and of course, the end of the season was a disaster, so we did judge them. Um, and I think for, for most of us, we, we were just so sickened. Um, it was like, you know, that really is it. I'm, I'm not going anymore. Um, it, it picked up and more and more people joined in. Um, and as you say, it, eventually it became um, really the vast majority of Blackpool fans um, joined the boycott. And did, I can imagine that these types of things can sometimes def- divide fans as well, you know, because some might think, well, no, we should stay and support the club. It's, it's bigger than the Oysters, but others, for obvious reasons and very good reasons, will say, no, well, actually, we don't want to put any money into their, into their pockets. So was there much at the start of a divide between fans about what the right course of action was, was to take? Yeah, there was a bit, um, and, and that's always sad because at the end of the day we are all, all black yeah. fans, but emotions were running high and, you know, as time went by, it, it was hard to boycott, it, it really was, and, you know, people who were not boycotting um, were targeted by some of the boycotters, um, you know, or mushrooms and things like that. <laughs> um, but to be fair, it didn't, it never got, you know, out of hand. Yeah. It wasn't pleasant for some people and, and we... As a trust, of course, we've always called for people to respect each other's decisions. Yeah. It's absolutely the right thing to do. Um, but, you know, there the, the really was at the end, there was a huge amount of unity because 
nearly everybody was boycotting. There was just a, a, a small uh, percentage who, who kept going. And we understand, you know, they had their own reasons and, and it's a democracy. They're entitled to that. And, you know, I, I have to say here that even the people who were still going, they weren't supporting the Oystons. Yeah. Um, there, there was very little support, a handful of people who actually support the Oystons themselves. Um, they were just going because they felt they needed to keep watching the team. Um, so the thing is, we are all back now, and um, we we now have to pull together because yeah. it's our club, and um, you know we have to we have to move forward together. And I, I can't really imagine what it must be like to stay away from a club you love for so long. I, I mean, I remember how well, I know how you know long the summer feels when there's no football it seems like a lifetime so to stay away for that long you've been in the heart of it I mean how hard can you can you put into words how hard that's been to stay away for four years or was the fact that you were doing it for such a good reason did that make it any easier at all um <laughs> it's it's extremely hard um it, it's painful um it, it really is and you know for, for fans people who are regular football fans you'll understand that you know y- your life sort of revolves around the fixtures list, yeah. you know and and um to, to suddenly not be doing what you've done for most of your life um is incredibly well it's hard to put it into words it, it makes you feel sick to be yeah. honest very upsetting um but over the period of time we got stronger and i think the fact that so many of us were doing it. There was that solidarity. Um, we were supported as well by fans from so many other clubs, including your own. Um, and, and that gave us a boost. And every match day, every home game, um, since August 2015, Blackpool Supporters Trust had a presence outside the ground for every game in all competitions. So, you know, that, that's a lot of games. That's for, for almost four years solid. We stood outside the ground. We leafleted visiting fans. We were just there. We used to call it the outdoor office. Um, but yeah. then at, at, full, uh, um, at kickoff, we would pack up and go home. Um, so, so difficult to do. But yeah. it became a thing, you know, and, and um, we knew why we were doing it. And that just kept us going. And we can't forget that during that time, there was obviously the promotion, wasn't there, to League One, back from League Two from via the playoffs. And yeah. again, you know, at that point, I, was, I remember I was thinking, I wonder if a lot of fans are going to sort of go back on their boycott to go to that game. But fair play to Blackpool fans. I mean, they didn't on the whole. And, and that must have been hard as well. But it was from the outside, it was incredible to watch. And it felt like you were doing it for all football fans, really, in the end. Yes, that, that's absolutely right. Um, because there is a, a bigger story here, which is football governance and the fact that there are other clubs that are struggling with rogue owners. Yeah. And, and it's very, very clear from the Blackpool situation that there is... There's just no, um, there's no structure, to, no infrastructure, no authority that seems able to deal effectively with owners that go rogue. Um, football clubs are treated as private businesses and owners can pretty much do what they want. And so that's something that we, we've challenged all the way along. And again, you know, as part of the, the National Fans Council, there's lots of football clubs now who are, who are getting involved in, in this. We are challenging the football authorities um, to say something has to be done because what happened at Blackpool and what is happening now at clubs like um, Coventry and Charlton and Port Vale, etc., it simply should not be. Yeah. Um, we need somewhere to go. It shouldn't have to come down to fans having to boycott, having to withhold the revenue to practically kill the thing you love to save it. It's it's a dreadful decision to have to make, but but we have no alternative. Um, and I hope that what we've gone through will now lay the foundations for some change so that other clubs 
don't have to do this because it just shouldn't be happening. I was going to say, do you find yourself or anyone um, associated with the Blackpool Supporters uh, Trust, do you find yourselves being asked for advice from other fans? Because, you know, really now you're a sort of case study for, for why this can work. And, you know, uh, uh, that I can recall in recent times, the only one that's it's gone on for so long and so dedicatedly so. Yes, yeah, well, absolutely. Um, I mean, for, for, for some time, we've, we've, for obvious reasons, we've been a very active trust um, in, in dealing with this situation. Um, and yes, so we've, we've um, linked up with a number of other clubs for various initiatives. And um, of course, now that we've had success, um, that, that's great because I, I really, really fervently hope that it brings um, hope to other football fans. Um, it, it, as a matter of fact, I'm actually going to uh, Port Vale supporters meeting next week. Um, they've asked me if I'll come. I'm just going to go and have a chat and tell them a bit about what we did because um, they're they're having problems. Yeah. So you know, and and that's that's good. It, it is fans united. Um, it's fine having rivalries on the pitch, but off the pitch, this is our game, and you know, the football family needs to stand together. To, to bring the changes that, that are so desperately needed. So, yeah, it's, it's great. I think there's something very positive coming out of the very negative years that we've had. Yeah, definitely a, f- a victory for fans. And when did you start to think that the, the, the Oysters were on their way out and that, and that fans could maybe, maybe there was a potential at some point soon fans could return to the ground? Do you remember sort of when you started to get that feeling? Um, well, obviously, Valeri Bellacon's legal action um, has been fundamental to all of, of this. Um, and uh, the, there was a judgment in November 2017 when um, he, he won and, and the Oysters were ordered to pay £31.27 million. And we knew that that was going to absolutely um, put them under so much pressure. Mm. And that that, coupled with the fan action, the boycott, which was causing the club to lose, like, nearly two million pounds a season meant that they would not be able to hang on to the club forever um it's taken a lot longer than we thought we thought you know within a a couple of months hopefully and after that massive judgment that that things would start to move but of course things don't always happen quite that quickly and so it's taken a whole lot longer but you know we we knew that it was going to happen it was just a case of hanging on in there sometimes you know those uh, the last few miles of a, of a long journey are, are the hardest yeah um and it was quite tough hanging on there but we, we knew it was happening it, it had to happen um and finally we've got there so and, and briefly for anyone that doesn't know that's going to listen to the podcast what so what is the situation with the blackpool ownership now well what's basically happened um is that because mr oyston owes this huge amount of money to minority shareholder and is based has has still not paid it off and it would appear does not have the um the money to do so um the court have appointed a receiver to oversee the selling of the football assets mm-hmm. so what that has done um the receiver basically has control of the football club so the oysters have been completely removed they have no control um, they're not on you know on the board or anything no directors anymore um, they do not receive any income from the football club whatsoever. Uh, basically, time's up. Um, and the receiver is now preparing the club for sale. They've appointed an interim board who are getting on with the day-to-day um, running of the club, trying to do what they can because, of course, there's very little infrastructure left. Yeah. Um, the club's been left in, in, in a bit of a pickle, to say the least. 
Um, so they're doing their very best. And, of course, we've, as volunteers, we've had um, lots of fans getting involved, cleaning the stadium, helping in the ticket office, just doing whatever we can to, to help the club to tick over until we get uh, until the club is sold and we get some new owners. So we don't know how long that will take, but... Um, you know, we're on the way, so yeah. that, that's the main thing. And just obviously, I can't not ask you, what was it like to on the day that you all went back then? And, and what were the emotions like, and how did that feel? Oh, it was hugely emotional. It was um, uh, mainly very, very joyous, as you would imagine. Everybody was absolutely bouncing. Yeah. Um, you know, nearly 16,000 Blackpool fans. We haven't had that many together for a very long time. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, people greeting each other, seeing old friends, people that we haven't, you haven't seen for such a long time because of not doing your normal match day stuff. You know, families... What we particularly were worried about was that we were losing a generation of, of young people, and yet the children and the youngsters who were there, so excited, was absolutely fabulous. It was it was bittersweet as well, because obviously when you've been away for a long time, hugely emotional going back into into the ground. Yeah. Um, we've lost a great many people in the last, certainly in the last four years, while we've been boycotting a lot. We had a, a remembrance thing for seasiders who have sadly passed away and didn't live to see see the day that we returned so as i say it was it was a bittersweet occasion but mainly hugely joyous and and the place was just bouncing it was wonderful well i saw that i saw some of the coverage of it um, on the news and on the um highlight show that's on quest and yes. it just looked like a, a a place i felt as a fan and i'm sure there were fans up and down the country that felt oh, i sort of wish i could have been there to see that Absolutely. I think I think for anybody, regardless of who you support, to be in there, it was like a cauldron of noise. Um, I, I, I don't know, I can't, still can't imagine what the players made of it because they've been playing in a mausoleum, you know, for yeah. such a long time. And to suddenly come out and see all that colour and noise was, wow, fantastic. It was just amazing, amazing. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to going up um, at the weekend uh, um, when, when Argyle travel up. And I'm sure it'll be um, a, bit, a bit more, a bit noisier than the last time I went up. Um, I, I think we can go. Guarantee that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just just finally, what, so what what's your situation now? What are you? What what is the trust up to at the moment? Well, um, we're obviously continuing doing all the things that a trust should do. Yeah. We are here to represent uh, the fans of Blackpool Football Club. We're, we've put ourselves at the club's disposal and said, you know, if there's anything at all that we can do in a, on a practical level, um, that's what we are trying to do. So we have a, um, a list of 200 volunteers who are willing to just get stuck in and do whatever's required. Um, but, but on the bigger picture, because we are working still very hard on, on the football governance side of things, um, both myself and um, Tony Wilkinson, who's the deputy of BST, we're both on the National Council, the newly merged um, group between Supporters Direct and Football Supporters Federation. So, you know, we're, we're, we've, we've always tried to highlight Blackpool's situation at the national level, and mm. now we want to work with all the other clubs as I say, to, to try and, and bring some reform to, to the governance of the game because it, it desperately, desperately needs it. Yeah, well, like I said, I, I know as, as a football fan, I'm not the only person that will say congratulations to you and well done for, for doing all that you've done. And it's, it really does feel like a victory for fans all up and down the country, really. Absolutely, that, that is exactly what it is. Um, as I say, so for, for those who are struggling still, you know, don't give up because, um, you know, 
sound power, collective power, um, is, is incredibly effective. And you probably can't underestimate that the, the having, I mean, at, at Plymouth Argyle, you know, some fans moan that, that the board are, don't spend enough and don't do enough, but you can't, you can't sort of take for granted a safe pair of fans that really care and look after a club, can you? Well, that, that's absolutely right. And, and um, even though, obviously, the interim board uh, are, are great, you know, they're doing a fantastic job already. Um, but we still don't know who's going to end yeah. up owning the club. So in spite of everything we've done, you know, it's still, as things stand for every football club, it's a massive pot look who you get as an owner. Um, and, and that's not absolutely not right. I, I don't think that anybody will now come in to buy Blackpool Football Club um, without understanding that they need to engage with Blackpool fans. Yeah, definitely. I think we've proved that, uh, <laughs> that that is very, very essential. But to me, surely, any any owner of a club wants the fans on side. It's an absolute no-brainer. Having such passionate and dedicated mm. fans, as many clubs do have, um, it's something to embrace, not something to be afraid of. So um, let's hope that, you know, across the country, across all clubs, um, that the fan movement is... Uh, goes from strength to strength because we are football that's what it's all about fantastic well thanks very much for sparing some time today it's great to have you on the podcast thank you thank you very much indeed for inviting me thank you it was great to talk to Christine. A big thank you to her for giving up her time to talk to us. As I mentioned there, Chris, it really felt like when all the Blackpool fans returned to Bloomfield Road, that it wasn't just a victory that they had been fighting for for four, five years. It was a real victory for all football fans, especially with certain clubs like Port Vale and Charlton who are going through similar sort of things with their owners at the moment. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I would pay full, full tribute to all the Blackpool fans and the, the Supporters Trust in particular for sort of mobilising people for what they've done because... You know, sometimes in football it feels like fans don't have a voice. Yeah. And football clubs often talk about, um, you know, the importance of fans and this, that and the other. But in situations like Blackpool found themselves in, it would have been easy for Blackpool supporters to shrug their shoulders, to not care, to not stop going, to not go back again. Um, but a lot of them went through the boycott. Um, when they got to a Wembley playoff final against Exeter City... They didn't just suddenly turn up there and throw their principles out the window. They stuck to what they said they were going to do. I can't imagine when they started boycotting games that they thought it would take as long as it did. Um, I was going to say, we're both football fans. As I mentioned in that chat with Christine, two months in the summer for football fans seems like a lifetime of no football. So I I can't even begin to imagine what it's like to stay away for that long. No, but they kept doing it. And um, they have shown that if you feel strongly enough about something and you have the, the strength of your convictions, a fan base can have a, have a real proper impact on things. And, uh, you know, it, we went to Bloomfield Road last year, Jack, and there was 3,000 people there, of which probably five or 600 were Argyle off the top of yeah. my head. And we sat in the press box, and we had the whole stand to ourselves. And it was a sizable stand. It doesn't feel right, does it? It doesn't feel right. It was empty. It was it was a very surreal feeling. And uh, so it feels like what you get at a checker trade trophy game. Yeah, isn't it? That's like it. feeling. Yeah, and uh, to see the the first game back when the ground was basically full. Yeah. And to see that stand that we sat in when there was literally about ten media and nothing else. To see that stand full was 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 impressive. And uh, you know, so uh, you know. I hope Argyle goes to Bloomfield Road and, and win on Saturday. Um, but, you know, wish the, the Blackpool fans a, 
a successful rest of the season. I hope they enjoy seeing their team again. And as I said to Christine, there, I feel like there's probably a lot of fans all down the country that have a so- sort of soft spot for Blackpool now after what Def- they've gone through. And definitely. You know, as Christine said, it's still not over yet. They still need mm. to find a new owner. But yep. what a selling point! Passionate yes. fans like that. Yes. Know, that, that strong base that you've got there. If you work yes. the club well, that, that's a great selling point in my view. Yeah. But away from that side of things, yes, it's business as usual for Argyle when they go yep. to Blackpool. No sentiment. No sentiment. We'll can't afford want, to be. We want Argyle to win. Yeah. But Blackpool battling for a playoff spot. Mm. Amazingly, throughout. All they've gone through this season, they've changed their manager. Mm-hmm. Gary Bowie left, didn't he? And he was replaced by Terry McPhillips. Yeah. Um, but still, they're, they're battling for that playoff place despite everything. And how great for their fans are coming back to that. But it's not going to be an easy game for Argyle. Shows how tight a group the players must be, mustn't it? Because, you know, there's, there's been an awful lot of distractions going on and around that football club. Um, but you would imagine that they've very much tried to have a very uh, close, uh, close-knit group and, you know, work together, stick together in the dressing room. So that sort of spirit engenders teams that are hard to beat. Yeah. Um, they're not going to roll over and die just because something goes wrong in a game uh, because there's been plenty going on outside the football club which they could have used as an excuse to, to, to not try their hardest. So any team that's going to beat Blackpool at the moment is going to have to play very well to do so. Now, um, I think Argyle have, have played well recently. Uh, away from home, they haven't scored many goals though, have they? I think it's one goal in the last five away yeah. games. And that is an issue that you know they need to make need to address clearly because you're not going to win any games if they don't improve that so uh, hopefully Carey will back, be back in the team hopefully Lemires is uh, firing on all cylinders again and that they can go up there and uh, and get the win that uh, you know would put them on 49 points with a win on Saturday and then you're getting you know close to the sort of points total that you're going to need and that's when the table's so tight a defeat at Blackpool yep. could send Argos humbling down the table it's, so it's, it's ridiculously tight still isn't it well look at the Saturday game where they, they went down two places in the table from 12th to 14th but they moved a point further clear of yeah. the relegation zone yeah. and I think we're going to see a lot of that where you know you might go up or down a little bit well it's, Oxford it's, won I think they, they moved up six places yeah. so. so it's that points gap yeah. more, also more than the positions at the moment The position because it's so tight that, that could literally change with yeah. one, one set of results. It's how far you are away from the relegation zone that I think is the, is the key point to look out for. Is it the closest that you remember a table being in your 20 plus yeah. years? Yeah, I think everyone's saying the same. and I don't think anyone can recall it being quite like this. You know, uh, we've spoken to, to Derek Adams, uh, David Fox, Jamie Ness. Uh, no, no one can recall anything like this. It's, you, know, you can literally throw, throw a, throw a ban- blanket over all of those teams from uh, I think it's 12 down isn't it and you talk about the Rochdale game a few years ago when Argyle trying to stay away from the drop to mm. the National League and mm. we're not going to want Argyle to be going into that last game against Gunford and have something to play for are we no we'd like that one to be a nice nice uh, enjoyable last game of the season where everyone can enjoy seeing Argyle for the last time before the summer break so they've got some tough games you yeah. know people are saying they've got some t- and they have you know Charlton and Barnsley have got to come to home park those will not be easy games uh, but I do still say that I don't think there's any easy games in League One at the moment. I really don't think. You know, you look at the teams in the bottom four, and some of them are not on great runs, but. Uh, but neither Wimbledon, I was no, going to say. Look at everyone's them. playing for something. Yeah. There is no. There is hardly any teams in that division. And probably there isn't any teams at the moment that haven't got something to play for. I right? know Fleetwood, who are just above yeah. the, the, the group of teams that yeah. are in relegation, if, if you like, uh, mm. still got an outside look at possibly getting into the playoffs, especially with the game in hand. Yeah, so. exactly. So I, I don't think you're going to find anything that you can look at the fixture list and say, oh yeah, we're guaranteed three points there. It's on the day, you've got to put your performances in, um, I've got to carry on playing the way they have been doing, 
And I think, you know, if they keep playing like they did on Saturday against Bristol Rovers, they'll pick up uh, enough points to, to make sure they're, they're clear at the bottom for them. Well, let's hope we have some nice sunny weather for our trip to Blackpool. You might even treat me to a stick of rock, Chris. This is my last game. Well, as it's your last game, Jack, <laughs> I, might, I, might, I might treat you. Let's hope it's a little bit drier and a lot less windy than when we went to Fleetwood uh, uh, the week, week ago last Saturday. Fingers sure. crossed, fingers crossed. So that's all we have time for this week. Thanks to Chris and for Christine for, uh, for joining me. Um, I was going to say join me again next week, but I won't be here. I'm, I'm off next week, so I won't even be on the podcast. But Chris, you'll probably be taking charge of that. and I'll be here. And there'll be some more familiar voices, we'll, I'm sure. We'll have a chat and uh, talk about Blackpool and look ahead to the visit of uh, Charlton uh, the following Saturday. It all comes thick and fast, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. For all the latest Argonne news, head to the Plymouth Live website. <laughs>